cover this right off the bat in the perhaps the most striking difference between John and the other gospels is how he begins. You might remember he says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. From there John explains that the word the Lord Jesus made all things and in him is light and life and grace and truth. John's intent is to so portray the Lord Jesus that we see his glory. And as John likes to say, we are captivated by it and even saved in it. With John's opening verse, we're also transported back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God is how it reads. Not just the creation itself, but the entire creation situation of Adam and Eve we find echoes in the prologue. The words coming to earth, taking on human flesh, is the fulfillment of the covenant promise that God had made to Adam in Genesis 3.15. You might remember, after the fall, as the Lord spoke to the man and spoke to the woman, he's had these words for the serpent. I shall put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That promise was one that would see its fulfillment in having all that the devil controls overturned and undone. This must have been a great hope to Adam and Eve in that moment. Although the scripture says that Adam and Eve were made in knowledge and righteousness and holiness, perhaps what was most important about how God had made them was that they could then walk with God in the garden. They could stroll with him in the afternoon. They could hear his voice. They got to be in his presence without fear, only knowing his favor. They saw him, and in seeing him, they were free, and they were content, and they were whole. But they disobeyed Adam's command. They violated his covenant with them. How they were made was not obliterated, but it was unchangeably altered. Knowledge dimmed. Righteousness destroyed, holiness defiled. The worst part, the worst part, however, was because of these things, they could no longer see God. It wasn't as if they were suddenly blind. It was that God could not be found. They were physically banished from the garden, and its entrance was guarded by a heavenly creature with a sword that turned every which way, a cherubim. Their relationship with him was now characterized by blindness. And if God cannot be found, he cannot be seen. And then they could not be free or content or whole. He condescended to them by providing for their needs, but now he was a distant father, utterly out of reach unless he came and made himself known to his people. Surely this was a crushing blow to Adam and Eve and all mankind. Indeed, to not see God is to be lost. Those who don't see him, Though they might deny it, they know they're lost. This may be why verse 18, our text, is the greatest of all the verses in the prologue. Let me read it to you. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Here John speaks of the single most important function of the word, to make God known. Maybe that's a a bold claim that this was his most important role, but this is why he is called the Word. To make God known was Jesus' intent all along. In John 17, he speaks of this. I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. To see God is to be known by God. And to be known by God is to be free. It's to be content. It's to be whole. We could say it's recreation gained. John 17 verse 3 reads this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. To embrace Jesus Christ is to embrace God the Father. To embrace God the Father is to embrace life that is eternal, life that is freeing, contented, whole. That's the significance of this verse. In a very short sentence, John captures the problem and the solution. Let's dive into both of those briefly. The first part of verse 18 is the ancient problem. It literally reads this way, God, no one has seen ever. Once Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God has been hidden. Job had this problem. He says, the Almighty, we we cannot find him. There is a real reason for this. Paul reminded Timothy that God, quote, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Even the psalmist describes God as the one who covers himself with light as a garment. No one can penetrate that light. Though God's hiddenness from us is a result of our sins, it's also a mercy of God protecting us from his holiness. God explains this in Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said further, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Even Moses, by being in God's presence, the effect, you might remember, was that his face shined. Some amount of the glory of the Lord was laid upon Moses so that when he was out of God's presence, it shined. But even even reflected, it was terrifying to his people. You would have thought that they would be drawn to that light, but instead they weren't. They were afraid of it. All who were in the dark of unbelief were afraid of the light. From that point on, you might remember that Moses wore a veil over his face after he spent time with the Lord. The prophet Isaiah, we read this earlier, also, he only saw the hem of the Lord's robe in the temple. And we remember his response, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He knew he should have died. Had he seen God's face, he would have died. But once the seraph picked up the hot coal from the altar and touched his lips, cleansing him from his sins. Did you notice when we read it? God spoke to him. He could approach God. His sins were forgiven. No one on his own can stand before God and withstand his holiness. The moral and spiritual distance between God and his creation is so great a chasm that no one but God himself can bridge it. It's an indictment upon us. In our sins, we cannot approach God, but it's just simply a fact. 
the holy creator and the sinful creature cannot coexist. Well, thankfully, John doesn't just expose the problem. He gives us the solution. Look at the rest of verse 18. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This verse stands on the other side of John 1.1. It restates basically that the truth that God was with the Word and the Word was with God. But it goes further. What John here calls the Word the only God who is at the Father's side. The English Standard Version has a footnote that says another way to read at the Father's side is in the bosom of the Father. That word speaks to... Uh, The intimacy with which the Son and the Father enjoyed. It's the same word that is used to describe John as he leaned on the Lord at the Last Supper. When uh, Lazarus was was leaning on Abraham's bosom in that story Jesus told about the man, uh, the rich man who had died and was in hell. That's how John describes the Father and the Son's intimacy. The Word wasn't just there with God. He was loved by God. He was close to God, in communion with God. This is the part of the glory that the Lord asks the Father to return to him in John 17. This is the intimacy given to all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, who become one with the Father, branches of the vine. But the word who was with God, he has made him known. Beloved, this this is the gospel. He's seen him. And he's making him known. He isn't simply stating truths about God. He is making him truly known to his people. We who know God have received him. We who know God have been born of God. We who know him participate in the light and life of God. We who know him are connected to the vine and have a home in heaven. He makes himself. This is what Jesus came to do. To make God known to his people who are in the dark. Jesus makes this connection between seeing him and seeing the Father, believing in him and believing in the Father. He makes it explicit in John chapter 12. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. He was given the authority and the power to make God known to whomever God wanted. Matthew 11, you might know that passage. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's interesting, isn't it? We normally think of that passage as uh, hope for a weary Christian traveler, right? And that is true. But the context is about Jesus inviting those who do not know the Father and his salvation to know him. And in knowing him, having rest. When we put our faith in Jesus, he delivers God to us. And by delivering God to us, he restores freedom. He restores contentment. He restores wholeness. Beloved, the Lord was incarnate, born of human flesh, so that he could make God known to us and make us known to God. It's the one thing we cannot see, but we cannot live without. This great gift is given to all who believe. No one can see God. He cannot be found. Men and women who don't know God grope around in the darkness and like a blind squirrel, finds a nut every now and then, bumps into some of God's common grace that he sheds to the entire creation. But the ways God sustains his creation will not provide for our salvation. No one can be saved from what we know of him in nature. 
He's not to be found in science or philosophy. Political parties and platforms and policies will not draw us near him. He's not found with some light within. He's not found by doing enough good works. He is known as he is received, as he is delivered to us by the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in him. There is truly no greater gift. Nothing you'll see under the tree with your name on it is this good. Some things might be really good, but nothing is this good. If you've never received Jesus Christ, if you've not come to know God and the salvation that is in him, now is the time. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be free from the bondage of sins. Be free from that persistent discontent in your life. Be free from the brokenness unto wholeness. The Christ of Christmas is the one who makes God known. He is the way and the truth and the life. Believe in him, receive him, and you will know God and you will know life in him. But secondly, don't forget to know God. We know freedom and contentment and wholeness. Christians feeding the appetites of the flesh, that's not freedom. Christians accumulating as much material wealth and stuff as possible is not the road to contentment. Christians seeking approval from the world or satisfying our own dreams is not wholeness. If you have Christ, you have God. If you have God, you have everything. You might have more than Christ in this life, but in Christ you will never have less than God. And if you're bereft of the good things of this world, you will never have less than life in God. For Jesus delivers God to all who believe. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as you've blessed us so bountifully in so many ways, that even now you would bless us in the beloved. Even now that you would assure us, we who have put our faith in Christ, that we belong to God. God has come near to us and he calls us sons and daughters. Also, as we enjoy the creation and all the good things set for us and food and family and gifts, we pray that we would think on Jesus Christ. And just as we receive those gifts, that we would receive Jesus Christ and all he has for us. I pray in his name. Amen.